Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we have a phenomenal guest, Callie Means. Callie was educated at Stanford and then went on to Harvard Business School. Uh, from there, like many of his classmates looking to change the world, ended up going working for Coca-Cola and some of the, the things that would not change the world, uh, but led to more of the same. And uh, he uncovered quite a bit of really gnarly truth with regard to our food system and healthcare and the interlinking between the two. Since then, he is has been on the forefront after losing his mother, joining up with his sister who was head of her class at Stanford Medicine uh, to form a company called Levels, which is a phenomenal CGM and really one of the most excellent, easy ways to track your glucose monitoring and making sure that you are metabolically efficient and metabolically healthy, uh, which as Callie mentions, are contributors, if not the sole reason for eight of the 10 in the big 10 diseases we have in America. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guest. He understands the ins and outs of the interplay between our food and our health and can really drop a lot of knowledge and, and does so. Uh, I had a blast with him. Uh, first heard him on Russell Brand's podcast or I think it, video show, vlog. I don't know <laughs> what it is. I think it was on video um, and, and excellent there. So I wanted to get him on. Uh, thanks to Claire Bear for setting this one up. I want Kelly to, to reach far and wide. I'm going to introduce him to Paul Check. I got to chance, didn't get a chance to introduce him to Aubrey, but um, we were hanging out at uh, at the Bobby Kennedy and, and Aubrey podcast event on Saturday, which was phenomenal, and uh, got a chance to introduce him to Christian Pity, another homie who works on Aubrey's podcast. So I want this guy's message to be shared far and wide, and I want to get him on the biggest podcast I can. Um, it's it's that important. I had a blast learning from him. And uh, uncovering, uh, you know, a lot of the details, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, I'll read books and things like that, but I can't string it all together in the way that he can. And he does such an excellent job of that, the importance of it and, and how really it's a fallacy to think that it takes a long time to get to regain control over our metabolic function. That's not the truth. You know, if you've gained a hundred pounds, it probably took you a long time to gain that hundred pounds. And if you're going to lose it healthily, it might take you a long time to lose the hundred pounds. But it should not take you a long time to get metabolically fit in which that weight starts coming off naturally. And this is what's been found through other CGM companies like NutriSense and different things of that nature. He's got a book he's writing with his sister, Dr. Casey Means, that'll be out next year. And I will for sure have him back on along with his sister. Uh, they're doing some of the most important work on the planet, in my humble opinion, and uh, love getting to meet Callie in person. There are many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, share, share it with friends. Uh, the truth of what Callie's saying cannot be denied. There are stats, there are studies, there are everything that you would, whatever the fuck you need to determine if something is real or not, he's got it. And he's got the data points and, and the real, real world experience to point to that. Uh, and it's stuff that I've been talking about on this podcast since the dawn of it, right? And I think that that's, that's oddly, um, you know, I think most people listening to this show agree, but there are some people on the fence. And if you know those people on the fence, share this podcast with them. That's one of the ways you can get them to wake up and start taking better care of themselves. Secondly, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. Simple as that. The best reviews will be up for getting a free product from Organifi. At the end of every month, they're going to select their favorite review and just leave your handle on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook so my team can reach out to you and get you a free Organifi product. Love these guys. They've been one of the show's longest sponsors. And last but not least, support our show's sponsors. They make this show fiscally possible for me to keep rocking and rolling and taking the time necessary that I do to do one of my favorite jobs on planet Earth, which is to podcast and continue to learn from excellent, amazing guests. 
www.organifi.com slash KKP for a limited time pumpkin spices back. Many of you (laughs) likely hate the idea that there are seasonal flavors and shit like that. At least Aubrey did when I was working at On It with him. Uh, I fucking love it. I love flavors that bring me into a season. We just had fall equinox autumnal, autumnal, autumnal equinox. I don't know how to say that. Uh, It doesn't matter. We're now we're now transferring, and and if you're in Texas, this is a big deal because it's still fucking 99 degrees yesterday, even with rain. So we're welcoming the fall, and we're praying for the rains. And at the same time, I love when the seasons change, not just because summer's hotter than hell, but because it's nice. It's a it's a it's a kind of way, almost like synesthesia, where you can see sound or you know the combination of these different uh, senses come together. When I taste and smell a season, there's something to that. When I see the blue bonnets, I know it's spring in Texas. When it, and it, you know, and then different berries will pop first at our farm, you know, and it's like cool. All the blueberries are going early, that kind of thing. So we know when we're we're got to be out there harvesting and, and eating yummies. And fall pumpkin spice is it, and I love their pumpkin spice. Not only does it taste good, but it's loaded with some of the best nutrients from some of the best plants and adaptogens on the planet. It has lemon balm in it. It's got a lot of things that make you feel good, especially if you're stressed out around family. You're gonna want the pumpkin spice. I always like adding fat to that drink. It just tastes better, uh, either raw milk that's been warmed up slightly, or I'll take some uh, full-fat, heavy coconut cream, same way I make the gold, and it tastes awesome. The kids love it. There's a Whopper of cinnamon and nutmeg, and it just tastes phenomenal. You just feel good. I feel like it's fucking fall right now. Check that out. If pumpkin spice is not your thing, that's totally cool because Organifi has a giant line of amazing products. Uh, and you know what's great? One of the things that I absolutely love about this, and people don't necessarily draw the line. You've heard of things like glyphosate, you've heard of organic, and you've also heard that a lot of people are paying for stupid shit so they can find different loopholes in the game. These guys are 100% glyphosate residue free. Glyphosate is the world's most used non-selective herbicide. It is often used as a weed killer that also kills most other plants and our soil. The requirements for glyphosate residue free certification is that through the detox project, verifies the products that do not contain glyphosate. Post-production, they do the same thing. And why is certification important? Because glyphosate destroys our environment by contaminating our soil, water, and air. It fucks everything up. Because it is water-soluble toxin, it can never be taken out of the ecosystem. It evaporates, goes into the air in clouds, and showers our bodies and our soils with glyphosate each rainfall. So even organic crops may contain glyphosate. Glyphosate has been identified as a probable carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Not that I like taking info from the WHO, but that's there. It is also known to negatively impact the gut microbiome by killing off good bacteria as it is patented as an antibiotic. It is a hormone disruptor and has been linked to inflammation, immune, and endocrine system dysregulation. It's a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. That's why people in health and wellness talk about it. And it's a great thing to know that everything you take from Organifi is guaranteed not to have any of it in it. Every one of their products tastes phenomenal. They're all low-carbohydrate. They're sweet and delicious, and they work. They're, they have combined unique mixtures of different adaptogens, mushrooms, and supplements from plants that truly are medicines that help our body change. I love everything they make. I, as I've mentioned before, I've really been into their pre-workout called Peak Power, which is made for focus, performance, and hydration uh, in partnership with the homeboys at Mind Pump Media. It's excellent. I take a pre-workout. I take a pre-podcast. I get an uptick in cognitive function. Uh, I get an uptick in cardio, and I'm certainly able to produce more output, work out harder, longer. That's exactly what I want from a pre-workout or anything else for that matter. Check it all out, Organifi.com slash KKP, and use code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. 
Next, we're brought to you by Qualia Scenolytic from the homeboys at Neurohacker. Neurohacker Collective, of course, I've had uh, their founder, James Schmachtenberger, on this podcast twice, and we did a deep dive on Qualia Scenolytic. And, you know, what are Scenolytics? Have you heard of them yet? It is a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called the biggest discovery of our time for promoting healthy aging and enhancing your physical prime. We took a deep dive into longevity. What are the best ways from fasting to sauna to ice bath and all these things in between? And really the discovery of these senolytics were plant medicines that actually help facilitate cellular turnover, the elimination of senescent cells, cells that are no longer working to then stimulate stem cells and bring upon a whole new workforce and refreshing the body, preventing the aging process. If you're in your 30s, 40s or beyond and the negative symptoms of middle age are starting to hit you hard, you need to try Qualia Senolytic. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. So does your family. If you're a dad or a mom, they require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. It's something you only take for two days, back to back, once a month. That's one of the most convenient supplements on the freaking planet. Order this. Uh, I order you know, six months worth at a, at, a, at a time. It is good to take this every month. And you can take this for years if you want, but at least take this every month for three to six months just to understand how your body's changing. And you can assist it, get a CGM, actually see what your, your carbohydrate management looks like via the blood sugar, uh, fasting, intermittent fasting, fasting uh, mimicking diet. All these things can help shift some of the metabolic function. Hating the sun and the ice bath is great for longevity. And all these things flow incredibly well together. Uh, check out the podcast they did with James Schmachtenberger. We'll link to that in the show notes. And go to Neurohacker because these guys have excellent, excellent products, including Qualia Senolytic. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Senolytic to your daily diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com slash KKP for up to 50% off Qualia Senolytic. And as a listener of Kyle Kingsbury podcast, use code KKP at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash KKP to try Qualia Senolytic with code KKP and start aging on your terms. Next, we're brought to you by the homeboys at Hostage Tape. Hostage Tape is a new sponsor that has really done something amazing. You know, uh, many people, you know, don't do well reinventing the wheel, but what they've done is they've made the wheel work. If, if wheels were a square and they were the first one to make it round, that's, that's what Hostage Tape has done. Many of us have read about taping our mouth shut when we go to bed, and a lot of tape sucks, and it gets sticky, they're stuck left on our lips, or it doesn't do a good job, and halfway through the night, you're left mouth breathing and snoring, and your wife wakes you up, and you're like, oh shit, I guess, I guess that tape didn't work. Hostage tape is awesome. They use pre-cut uh, kinesio tape that, that actually feels awesome. It works if you have a beard or not, and it keeps your mouth shut the whole night, which has a big deal to do with how we sleep, how much oxygenation we get. It'll improve your sleep. You'll immediately find deeper, more restful sleep when you begin solely nose breathing at night. As you effectively and efficiently breathe through your nose, your heart rate decreases, your body releases less adrenaline. Sleep studies have also shown that keeping your mouth shut while sleeping can reduce your or reduce or eliminate snoring. Your body will improve your oxygenation level in your blood, reducing the brain fog you may feel in the morning. Better fitness. When you breathe through your nose, your body extracts more oxygen. Maintaining a steady breathing pattern, leveled heart rate, and pushes more nitric oxide to your muscles. It helps maintain posture, better form and movement means less injury and better sessions. So you're really doing less for more reps, less breaths that provide more oxygen to your muscles. Better mental health. Nasal breathing has been shown to reduce anxiety and promote relaxation. Nasal breathing also helps regulate the body's oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. 
lower heart rate and improved brain function, which can improve sleep quality and overall health. Mouth tape is a safe and non-invasive solution that can be used by anyone experiencing anxiety and is also an affordable alternative to other anxiety management techniques such as therapy or medication. This can improve mood, better oral health. I did an entire podcast on this uh, with my dentist, which was phenomenal, Dr. Kevin Winters. You can look that up. Uh, Excellent reasons for getting into this. Better allergies, beauty, better heart health, better nitric oxide production, which as you know, I created a product on it that was solely based around increasing nitric oxide. This is one of the most effective ways you can do that without taking anything. This is one of the coolest things that I've seen come out in a long time. I have my son using it. He's eight years old now. And like me, when I was young, my upper palate didn't form properly. Teeth were coming in on top of one another. And this is one of the ways we guaranteed if we can sleep with our mouth shut, our tongue presses to the roof of the mouth and gently opens up the upper palate to get our teeth to come into the right place. That improves airway, improves oxygenation, improves uh, our cheekbones, our jawbone. The whole thing gets mapped out from this. Check it out at hostagetape.com slash KKP to claim your free offer. And again, you have to use the link H-O-S-T-A-G-E-T-A-P-E dot com slash KKP to claim your free offer. We're also brought to you today by my homies at Bioptimizers, www.sleepbreakthrough.com slash Kingsboo. And these guys still get best URL award. Code Kingsboo for 10% off in all caps. You know I travel a lot and I often struggle with jet lag when traveling across multiple time zones. Or even if I'm not traveling, we went to Vegas last year and because it was summertime for Arcadia, I was going to bed at four in the morning, which is 6 a.m. Central time. That's a fucking big whopper. That's being on the other side of the planet. It can be difficult to adjust to the new schedule, which makes it challenging to fall asleep or stay asleep at the right times. When I feel stressed or anxious, I find it challenging to fall asleep at night. This is when most of us do. If shit's going on and I start to lay down and I'm like, oh, cool, now I can finally sleep. No, bitch, now is when I'm going to iron out all the problems that I haven't looked at during the day, right? This is natural. My mind races with thoughts, making it hard to quiet my thoughts and relax enough to fall asleep. This often leads to a vicious cycle of sleep deprivation and heightened anxiety. Once I started using Sleep Breakthrough, I noticed that I was experiencing deeper, higher quality sleep than I had in a very long time. I started to use Sleep Breakthrough because I knew that deep sleep and REM sleep were important for rejuvenation, fat burning, and muscle building. Now I feel like I'm getting the quality of sleep I need to support my overall health and fitness goals. You will not get addicted to sleep breakthrough, which is an all-natural formula and provides the body with precursors to melatonin and the necessary molecules to produce it naturally. Sleep breakthrough is a natural formula. This approach helps prevent dependency, downregulation, and the negative side effects commonly associated with sleep supplements such as the sleep hangover. Visit www.sleepbreakthrough.com slash Kingsboo and order now. In addition to the discount you get by using promo code Kingsboo, there are always amazing gifts to purchase. That's why I also love shopping at buyoptimizers.com. Simply go to www.sleepbreakthrough.com slash Kingsboo to get your sleep breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. Love these guys. And without further ado, Callie Means. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Oh, it's great to be here, Kyle. Yeah, that's so it's so good. I I, I got intro to you from uh, Claire Spencer, who's been one of my longtime homies from Fit for Service, and uh, somebody I've been I've been fortunately able to work alongside with for a while. And this is the first time she said I have a guest for you, and I know like she's a close friend. She knows me inside and out. So I was like, interesting. Can you send me something from him? And I think uh, I saw a video with Russell Brand, mm-hmm. and I was everything you were saying. I was like, this is exactly what I want to have. This is perfect. It's tailor-made for the podcast. So I'm very excited to have you here today. I'm pumped to dig in. Cool, brother. 
Well, talk about your background. You know, that general flow of the podcast is I want to know what made you, you. And, um, you know, you've, you've, you're a father, you've, you went to Stanford. There's one difference, but I love talking to the smart kids that went to Stanford. I feel like Goodwill Hunting sometimes, talking to the college dropout, talking to, uh, you know, the really people that had the excellence in academia, but also still, you know, started to see the cracks in the system and not take things, you know, as, as most of the general population does. I can give the quick life story. Um, you know, I, I think a formative part of this is born and raised in Washington, D.C. And from the time I was a little kid, my, my dad moved there to be an economic advisor for Ford and Nixon. And then I was born and I, my dream was to very idealistic, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I was going to, you know, study at good schools, you know, learn economics, help be a policy advisor and help move forward policy. Um, it went to Stanford and then uh, immediately got into the politics and policy and uh, very idealistic coming out. Uh, but after some campaigns, I realized inevitably uh, I was sitting across the aisle from, from people I fought against in the campaigns and basically everyone uh, when the campaigns are over is making money by um, consulting and lobbying <laughs> as maybe not surprising, but what's surprising is how pronounced uh, pharmaceutical and food, the two largest spenders in Washington, DC. So I quickly learned pharma spends five times more on lobbying public affairs work than uh, the oil industry um, and absolute stranglehold on anyone working in government initially uh, eventually gets to pharma and also uh, food companies. So we can, we can dig in more to that, but then, uh, you know, was disenfranchised with that. Didn't like what I saw, um, went to Harvard business school and what I saw there, honestly, and, and the, and very lucky to go to these institutions, but, uh, I, I do think some of our elite institutions are really conveyor belts of conformity. I mean, you know, many of my friends and everyone writes their applications about changing healthcare, changing the food system. And then 85% of Harvard Business School graduates are eventually going to traditional industries, going to food companies, going to Pepsi, going to work for pharmaceutical companies, going to work to, you know, a friend who wrote an essay about changing the healthcare system and their dream goes and works for McKinsey, who just settled a billion dollar lawsuit for helping Purdue Pharma over prescribed opioids. So the, the, the actual conveyor belt of where we're sending, quote, our best and brightest is very clear. It's going to these systems that we all agree um, are broken. Um, and then kind of moving on, you know, starting companies in e-commerce, um, had a huge formative experience. My, my sister, uh, her name is Dr. Casey Means. And uh, she started Levels Health. And that was after 13 years of training. She was top of her class, Stanford Med School, much smarter than me, uh, head and neck surgeon, got through residency. And she had this out-of-body experience where she was cutting into some of your third surgery of the day, sinusitis, um, uh, inflammation of sinuses. And she had this out-of-body experience, 13 years into medical training. She did not know why that patient had inflammation, why they were sick. And she realized that they were under her knife just six months before, and that the majority of her patients actually were coming back because the inflammation was coming back. And at the you know president of her undergrad class, top of Stanford Med School, surgical residency, top performing, she didn't know why that person was sick. She only knew how to cut out their inflammation. And she realized almost everything she did surgery on was rooted in inflammation. She realized that at Stanford, she did not take a single nutrition class. And she, the doctors fundamentally do not learn why people get sick. It's a conveyor belt. Um, you peel it back, largely funded medical schools are significantly funded by pharmaceutical and the industry that makes money when people are sick. And all she learned was how to cut something out, a little Band-Aid, after people get sick. So she quit, started a metabolic health company levels to help people measure their glucose. Um, and it's kind of that was bringing my awakening on, um, we had a personal experience, you know, I think, 
these are common experiences, but we had the death of a loved one. My mom, our best friend, um, really was the typical American patient. Um, she uh, was on six medications, which was actually average for somebody at her age at 70, but she was on the statin, which you know, 40% of men over 40 are on. She was on metformin, um, which, uh, which a huge majority, you know, a huge majority actually of people her age are on, you know, people, uh, in their seventies, uh, the majority of them are, are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, she was on, um, blood pressure medication. She was on this host of things that are like rites of passages for Americans and actually told by her doctor that she was healthy for someone her age. Um, all of those siloed conditions were actually warning signs of metabolic dysfunction, which showed as she was taking a hike, had a pain in her stomach, and uh, went in to get a scan, had stage four pancreatic cancer, died 12 days later. And that was in early 2021. So so, so these elements uh, with my sister, with my mom, with having a new son coming into the world and looking at what's happening to kids where uh, a third of teenagers are now pre-diabetic, uh, 50% are overweight or obese the slaughterhouse kids are going into. It made me review my earlier time working for food and pharma. And and I I really do think, you know, you've got, I think, an audience of many people that have inspired me to come on your podcast that have taken great personal accountability and really woken up and and changed their lives with, you know, root cause habits. Um, I'm here to really say, and and, and I hopefully push the conversation on, uh, there's absolutely, it's necessary. Everyone uh, needs to wake up. And I think the path of personal empowerment is, is, is absolutely existential and crucial. But we also need to understand that we have the largest industries in this country fundamentally incentivized um, uh, for us to be sicker, fatter, more depressed, more infertile. Um, and and we, sh- we should be really open eyes on that, which um, which now I'm, I'm, tr- I'm unpacking and, and trying to talk about what I saw working for Food and Pharma uh, to hopefully just put put in people's heads the message that they can think for themselves. Um, we should not trust, uh, frankly, our doctor when it comes to chronic conditions um, or these industries. Um, we, we, we need a radical amount of empowerment um, and questioning of the system because the system does not deserve trust. 100%. Yeah, we'll talk about, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure which direction I want to take it first. <laughs> Uh, if I want to go back in time to kind of look at at the the beginnings of medicine, or if we want to circle back to that and start with, or just continue on your path with with your time with food and pharma, you know, uh, as you started to to uncover more of this, you know, from the Coca Cola guys coming out, the, the the whistleblowers, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a million places I want to take it, but I'll let you steer the ship here. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 kind of seeing, you know, kind of this awakening, right? And it's very simple. What, what kind of the awakening on metabolic health that my sister had? It's, 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 it's a simple premise that um, that the vast majority of what's torturing and shortening American life is tied to simple metabolic habits. Um, is tied to our toxic food supply, where we have thousands of neurotoxins in our literally additives in our food that are illegal in every other country. You know, I'm a libertarian, but I don't think that's a free market. That's a rigged market that we have just free reign to add neurotoxins in our food that's destroying our microbiome. Um, that literally you sneak seed oils, sugar, you know, these other these other highly processed ingredients into into food that kids eat. Um, I don't know if that's a free market. I think that's kind of rigged. The fact that glyphosate is in 99% of breast milk, all, all of these things, all these things that are just very unique in America. Um, you know, again, I used to defend when I worked for food that that was like, we need to let these folks operate in the free. No, no, they're rigging the market. That's what I kind of put together. Um, and yeah, I, I've talked about the story of working for Coke and this is just a very instructive example. Um, but 
you know, sitting behind the doors of these consulting firms, of these PR firms, with relatively unimpressive people working at these companies, they understand how to rig the debate, right? It's not complicated, right? If we're sitting and pulling the strings and they're trying to shut down our opponent, you call them racist, you call them sexist, you call them fat phobic, you call them these words that nobody wants to be called and it shuts down debate. So this was this was certainly true 12 years ago working for Coke. Um, they actually wanted to keep uh, funding for food stamps. So you wouldn't believe this, but food stamps, which uh, SNAP, which is 15% of the American people depend on for nutrition. Uh, this is a very important program, you know, $140 billion, um, you know, again, highly dependent on by, by a material amount of the country for SNAP, supplemental nutrition. Uh, 10% of all funding from SNAP goes to sugary drinks. It's the number one item is soda. And 70% of that entire program goes to highly processed food. And Coke, when I was working for them, wanted to keep it that way. There was a bipartisan effort to say a simple thing, which is soda shouldn't be on the supplemental nutrition program. And we paid the NAACP, the Hispanic Federation, these leading civil rights groups to call opponents racist. Um, So you can definitely see that today. And you can always see these parallels. Today, the Washington Post, uh, just days ago, came out with a report that the soda companies and other processed food companies are funneling millions of dollars to nutritionists on TikTok. So it's gone from, you know, the media and paying off the NAACP to um, to, to, to folks on TikTok who have got, received explicit instructions actually to racialize this idea of, of body inclusivity, to actually attack people for saying that sugar is bad, to attack people actually literally tying it to race, tying it to fat phobia, tying it to sexism. So you, you literally, you know, kind of, kind of back then, you had Coke um, paying the NAACP. We also directly had a strategy uh, to pay off uh, media institutions, um, Coke, uh, food, and pharma by far are the top spenders on news ads. And I can tell you the behind closed scenes, when when, when you're funneling so much dollars to prop up these news organizations, there's there's there, there, there's that money is expected of something. You're, you're expected uh, for the news to not be asking questions about why people are getting sick, about whether pharmaceutical drugs that are treating all, making money off all these people getting sick. So there was that. And, and, and also, uh, just looking backwards, what was most shocking to me probably, is just a direct transaction relationship with research institutions and medical institutions. Um, the food industry uh, puts 11 times more into nutrition research than the NIH. Um, and calling up doctors um, at Harvard, uh, Stanford, Tufts, you know, leading institutions uh, was as transactional as you know, ordering a Big Mac at McDonald's. Um, it, you, you called them, you donated millions of dollars. It was a wink-wink situation and you got studies uh, questioning whether sugar causes obesity, which have come out of leading institutions like Harvard, um, and are then used to create public policy. So um, that it just there's a lot of instructive examples of this happening today. But it was maybe obvious, but but definitely shocking how clear this puppeteering of institutions of trust is, and how I think still blind we are to uh, how how obviously and manifestly this is happening today. Yeah, it's it's massive. I think it's it's even funny. I mean, I was just chatting with um, uh, Paul Saladino's crew. Yeah. I know I'm sure you're familiar with him. Sure, we went on, I went on their podcast, and 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 we were laughing about how you know if you if you say seed oils are bad, now you're a white white right. <laughs> white supremacist, white supremacist or yeah. right wing conspiracy. It's like how how does these how does how does anything nutrition related 
conflate to white supremacy. Like it's fucking mind blowing, but it's almost become, it's almost become like, oh, if I disagree with standard thinking, then I'm going to be a white supremacist or I'm going to be a racist. I'm going to be something fill in the blank, you know, that nobody wants to be called. Nobody wants to be labeled. Yeah. When you know, I was like, if you drink raw milk, if you're, if you don't like seed oils, you know, anything that's, anything that's actually healthy for you, that's going to get, you're going to get caught in the bad camp. Yeah. And what I, what I'm trying to kind of, what I'm trying to advance is that we see this stuff happening. I think a lot of people listening kind of understand that there's some forces that, that, that this is BS, how anyone question the system is delegitimized. And, and what I'm saying is, is it really is, it's coordinated. It, 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 it's premeditated. Um, like, like there's emails now between, you know, Dr. Fauci and the head of the NIH um, about Joe Rogan, right? From PR firms that represented Pfizer, uh, from consultants that represented Pfizer. You know, these people are highly connected, but you just look at look at pharmaceutical companies, right? Look at how their financial ties. They are 55% of news funding. So 55% of news funding. They're one of the top funders of social media and tech company ads. And they are the lifeblood of the actual regulatory institutions of the US government. So pharma, people don't know this often, pays 75% of the FDA's budget. So the FDA, it's actually, as a, it's a bureaucracy, it's designed to grow and it only grows by better relationship with pharma. And then of course, it's a just total revolving door where everyone who's regulating pharma at the FDA has either worked at pharma previously or as we saw with Scott Gottlieb goes on the board of Pfizer right after. So so the ties, so, so you just have to be logical here, right? If they're paying the bills for the media organizations, if they're paying the bills for the regulatory organizations, if they're literally, you know, paying the bills for Google uh, and Twitter back at the time um, and, you know, Facebook, all these things, it just defies logic, right? It, 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 it's, it's all subtle, but there's clearly, you don't even have to say it, right? There's a huge um, emphasis to delegitimize folks. And the playbook to delegitimize folks is clear, right? You look what they tried to do to Joe Rogan. Um, they, they took a couple clips out of context and tried to call him a white supremacist. Um, and you actually literally had Dr. Fauci um, and the head of the NIH in emails in 2020 and 2021 saying he was enemy number one, a podcast host saying that um, COVID might be related to metabolic health and what we eat, viciously attacked. Um, you know, not to get too much on a hot topic here and you know, every charge should be taken seriously, but it is known by these institutions that if you can make an anonymous charge, if you can get that in print, it can destroy someone's reputation because everyone else on the ally, everyone else in the ecosystem can take that, um, can take that and just slam you. The second you have an anonymous charge in any type of publication, um, you can take that to the UK parliament, who's now posting, uh, literally threatening Rumble and other independent companies in the U.S. to demonetize Russell Brand um, based on one anonymous thing from a publication that gets their majority of funding from pharma, who that person's attacking. Again, everything should be taken seriously, but we have to understand how this game works. And I, I think we have to be adults um, and stop falling. Like, how many times are we going to fall for this? The last thing I'd say is there's this delegitimization of, of speech, particularly when it comes to health. Right. We're actually on the defensive for asking why an industrial byproduct seed oils, which was created by John D. Rockefeller uh, as oil lubricant and discovered that it's potentially we can put it in our food because it's 20 times cheaper. We literally are on the defensive and asking for research studies saying why that is potentially 
uh, as healthy as uh, butter or uh, or um, tallow or olive oil, which has been used for for tens of thousands of years. That that's how that's how warped this conversation has gotten. People who are literally saying to exercise, to have your kids outside, to have them looking at the sunlight, to not be feeding them highly processed crap, they're now labeled routinely in a coordinated effort as as right wing white supremacists. Yeah, you go for, go for a run, right? If you're right. you're a runner, you you care about your body, you care about health in that way. It's 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 mind blowing. But I'm I'm happy you brought up Rockefeller. We were joking around in the yeah. beginning. I think it's one of these names, you know, like Rothschilds or so. You know, like like you hear a rant um, from uh, Alex Jones or somebody like that. You know, sounds like a pro wrestler. He's ranting. He brings in several names. Then he talks about devil worshiping pedophiles, and you're like, all right, I don't know what makes sense here. But but as you track, if you follow the money, if you follow history, I've seen documentaries on John D. Rockefeller. I've I've read portions of books that were dedicated to him and the history of him. As you go through that. It actually tracks, and not just from oil, but when the standard was broken up, you know, a lot of people will know that became Chevron, that became uh, a few different ones, and those are all the major players, Exxon Mobil, that kind of thing. What they don't know is that he then ventured into many different places, akin to what BlackRock's done or Vanguard, where he's not the complete owner of, of these different industries, but he's got maybe 20, 25% of a lot of different things that we all, you know, just just take it, just... It's if you know big this, big that, big agriculture, big pharma. He's 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 deeply embedded in that, and so I'd love to follow that thread because um, you know it is a name. You hear the Rockefellers, you're like, ah, I can just wipe that off. It's conspiracy. He's talking about the Rockefellers yeah. again. But if you look at this, it's like, no, 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 no. This is there's there's a there's a long history here of how this has actually shaped what modern medicine looks like. Hundred percent, and yeah, you, and now today, Bill Gates, as you said, like it's just like these names. You bring these names up, it sounds conspiratorial, um, and I think there's kind of this media. The media is now the protector of the status quo and corporate interests, and they'll slam you as being conspiratorial for bringing up Rockefeller or, or, or Bill Gates today. Um, I would just ask, just high level, and let's get into Rockefeller. Is like, are things going well right now? Like, it, it, I look around. And I'm seeing, and you know, gut check me if I'm wrong, I'm seeing really worrying signs. 80% of American adults obese or overweight. Um, 22% of kids having fatty liver disease. Um, as I said, a third of, te- I just can't get my head around that. A third of teenagers have um, prediabetes and, and 40% of high school seniors have a mental health disorder. So like there's something not working with, I think, healthcare system and then food, which inevitably leads to, to the health. So I think you've got to trace the incentive structure. I mean, these these are really large industries. And I think a lot of it does trace to John D. Rockefeller. So let's just give a little history here. Um, the wealth of John Rockefeller is hard to comprehend. So if you do actual, like, you tie it to today's dollar, he was basically a trillionaire. Um, by far the richest person who's ever lived. And yes, he, he had far outside of oil. So he actually invented the U.S. pharmaceutical industry. So a lot of the byproducts of oil, and in the 1900, right, um, medicine was really crack, quackery, to be quite honest, right? Uh, Bayer actually invented uh, cocaine. Uh, so cocaine, um, excuse me, and, and, and heroin, uh, they sold both of them. Heroin was a word patented by Bayer. Um, in heroic, and you wouldn't believe this, but it was one of the top five in 1900, one of the top five selling drugs in the country for what condition? 
for infant uh, for infants acting up. Heroin was given. <laughs> heroin was given. No, it, it worked. It actually worked. So it. I bet it did. So I bet every, it worked like nothing else. So every baby in the country, um, in 1900, was given a little drop of heroin, uh, patented by Bayer, uh, and they they ended up uh, you know kind of like being a little less uh, a little less. So it actually worked. But 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 and then, and then a cocaine um, for for many re- for many different um, uses was also one of the top ten drugs. Um, in the country. So we've really come full. So, so, so it's a little bit of the wild West. And in the early 1900s, John D Rockefeller realized you could kind of put a professional, um, label on this and he could use some of his byproducts to sell more serious medications. So he actually funded the initial med school. So John D Rockefeller was the major funder to Johns Hopkins, um, which basically created the modern American medical system. I talked about my sister who went to residency. So residency was created by John D. Halstead, which was a Rockefeller protege at Johns Hopkins. So John, uh, uh, Dr. Halstead uh, created this idea where it's like you're working for 40 hours straight and you're, you're not asking questions. You're heroic. Um, he invented this thing called the radical mastectomy for breast cancer, taking out the whole breast. It was cut, cut, cut. It was surgery is serious medicine. It's don't ask questions. And that patient, they come here, you don't talk to them. They're passed out before you and you're heroic. You're cutting that serious medicine. It turned out his practices, the radical mastectomy, and a lot of the things he pioneered were totally wrong. But his macho, like serious medicine is is, um, is surgery, that has stayed on. And his residency, where you basically brainwash, and I think it's literally brainwashing uh, budding doctors, complete uh, purposeful sleep deprivation, working 40 hours. It turned out that Dr. Halstead uh, was taking the the morphine and the cocaine that they were giving patients had a terrible lifelong drug addiction. And after doing these like four day spurts of uh, of constant surgical interventions, which are still kind of the norm today in residency, he would have manic breakdowns and have to take six months off uh, and, and was literally losing his mind and going crazy. But that type of that type of mantra actually embedded itself. And it was very purposeful. This idea that nutrition and anything holistic and talking about exercise, think about that. When my sister at Stanford Med School actually brought up a nutritional information, she was told by an intending surgeon, don't be a pussy. That's what they told her. They said, you did not go to dietary nutrition school. You're here to be a surgeon. You're here to do serious medicine. That mindset, which is profitable because the interventions are what make money. The interventions are what need um, pharmaceuticals. That was embedded, and it's just to kind of close the story, it was embedded into law. So once John Rockefeller funded these initial med schools and created this kind of evidence-based medical uh, uh, kind of framework, he installed into law his his lawyer, uh, whose last name was Flexner, actually drafted the Flexner Report which was passed by Congress in 1909, and it essentially set what modern American medicine is. So modern medicine, the structure of how medicine in America is legally set up, is actually still under that 1909 law that Rockefeller wrote. And what it essentially did is it siloed diseases. And I would argue this has been the greatest mistake in medical history. So when we think about medicine today, 90% of costs, 90% of deaths are tied to chronic conditions. And the Flexner report said we need to name the disease and we need to treat it. But that's a misnomer with chronic conditions. If you have, like my mom, 
diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, potentially uh, d- depression, infertility, other issues. That will be five different doctors, five different pills under the current system because that's profitable. We're able to name the disease, treat it with a pill, treat it with a potential intervention. It's a lifelong patient. The pills are recurring revenue. All those things I just mentioned are the same thing. Um, if you actually do root cause metabolic interventions, uh, eat better, think about your microbiome, exercise, sleep better, you can reverse every posi- every single condition I just stated. PCOS, which is skyrocketing, is the number one cause of infertility for women, is insulin resistance. It's not related to diabetes. It is diabetes. The, the, literally infertility. Um, now, Alzheimer's is called type 3 diabetes, that they're about to uh, run a Pulitzer Prize, or a, a, uh, excuse me, a... Uh, the doctor's about to win a um, potentially a uh, Nobel Prize for that. It, it, it's, a, it's a huge breakthrough of actually discovering what the root cause of Alzheimer's is. These are all related. Um, eight of the 10 leading causes of death in America are foodborne illnesses. But the structure, the legal structure, they, there's no funding for that. Doctors aren't reimbursed for that. It doesn't make the medical system money. W- what this has led to uh, is a siloing of chronic conditions uh, to where I believe it's, I believe it's over ten prescriptions are written per American per year. So um, it's not just you know th- these things are all happen by you know th- they're not just random. And um, it, what it's led, and I'll, I'll just close with this. And I think Rockefeller couldn't have planned it better. The healthcare system, you know, which he really pioneered, is now the largest industry in the country, most employed industry in the country. Twenty, you know, as we know, twenty percent of the economy, and the fastest growing. So you can't even wrap your head around this. The largest and fastest growing, usually, and I'm do startups in tech and you know, all of our businesses, your businesses, you know, innovation is lowering the price and, and creating best better uh, customer service customer products. That's innovation. You know, all, all these products and, and technology and, and consumer products, the price comes down, quality goes up. That's innovation. In medicine, the more we spend, the worse outcomes get. So um, it's this perfectly designed system. Um, yeah, that a lot goes to some smart people really, truly rigging rigging the system uh, to delegitimize holistic views of medicine and put this um, this siloed view. And that that's my life journey, Kyle, really, is that we need to change from a uh, siloed view of medicine where my sister graduates Stanford and chooses one of 42 specialties. Uh, one of 42 parts of the body to devote her entire life to, to where a patient comes unconscious with inflammation. She's not asking how that inflammation is related to that patient's migraines, that patient's diabetes, that patient's depression. She just cuts out the inflammation, sends them to the next doctor. That is what's broken in medicine. I'm engaging with a lot of public policymakers, and they're saying, you know, we need to change page 200 of the Medicare Part D Supplemental Insurance Act. No, it's it's not about that. The problem is the actual system. Until we actually understand the incentives of the system, which is to silo disease and make as much money as possible as people stay sick for longer, until we attack that, we're going to continue to go bankrupt as a country and destroy our human capital. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> was that a good rant? Okay. <laughs> that was the best, dude. I love it. Especially when, especially online, you know, it's a little bit harder to be back and forth because the timing of, uh, of we the- can, that, Okay. Okay. Uh, you can interrupt me. You can interrupt me anytime. <laughs> yeah, I had, you know, I've, I've been, and it's, this isn't the same for everybody, but following Weston A. Price, guys like Paul Check, Dr. Dr. Um, I think William Walcott, who wrote the metabolic typing diet. You know, he studied 
genetics and different ancestry. And basically, you know, you can do a series of questionnaires that, that don't have to dive into 23andMe and shit yeah. like that and just figure out what is the right food for me. Most people, if you're not from the equator, do better with uh, some meat, some fat, in their diet. And, and if you, you know, the less problematic process and all that, that's a, that's a whole thing that we can just scrap for now, that whole argument. Ketogenic diets, fasting, different things like that work really well for someone like me, who's more of a polar type. And that's just because of what my DNA decided to take from my ancestors. In America, most people that are here, especially if you have white skin, would do really good to go without periodically, whether that's a ketogenic reset or fasting mimicking, you know, there's, there's low hanging fruit. There's different things there. I had the guys on, you know, I've been fascinated by CGMs. I had NutriSense on uh, the podcast a couple of times, once before uh, COVID hit and then after, and they said they had a ton of data. And, and I got a good buddy, John Beer, who's a part of Levels. Love you guys. Love the, the work that you guys are doing John's there. The yeah, he's awesome. I'm sure you guys have seen a shit ton of like N equals however many thousands of people have come through there on how fast you can create metabolic flexibility and how that pertains to COVID blew me the fuck away, but it made a lot of sense actually in that even if you were a hundred, one of the things they said, and maybe, you know, maybe you'll agree or you're not agree, but one of the things that, that the lady said was if you were a hundred pounds overweight, you wouldn't have to lose that whole hundred pounds to get, to regain some metabolic flexibility. All you'd have to do is reset your metabolism, which could be done in three to six weeks, right? Without losing the whole hundred pounds, you could begin to get the pancreas to reset. You could, you could reset insulin sensitivity. You could do a lot of these things that then eliminate many of the comorbidities that we were seeing terrorize people from something that really wasn't that bad, but hit hard a nation that's sick. Yeah, uh, man, you hit on a number of uh, crucial, crucial points there. I mean, one thing you're hitting on, and I really want to say this really strongly, is there's this pernicious and cynical lie that metabolic interventions are a long-term play, take time. Um, we had an existential event, you know, I think one of the most historical events in, in the history of America with COVID, where we just completely and utterly shut down the country. Um, and we just mobilized and did that immediately in the face of this seemingly what we thought was an existential threat. And it's funny, right? And you think about crises and usually the industrial complexes have the plan. I mean, after 9-11, I would argue the, the military uh, interests were really ready to, you know, and, and they made trillions of dollars, um, you know, and had a plan for better or worse. And during COVID, the pharmaceutical interests had a plan. And during the financial crisis, the financial uh, interests had a plan, quite frankly. Um, but during COVID, um, we would have done anything that Dr. Fauci told us to do. If Dr. Fauci uh, got on the microphone every day, which he did during COVID and, and, and spouted a pharmaceutical uh, solution, if he said, this is, a, this is a turning point in American history, uh, this is a foodborne illness, COVID. Um, if we were metabolically healthy, um, you don't die of COVID, no matter how old you are, essentially. Um, and not only is it the risk factor for COVID, it's the risk factor for eight of the 10 leading causes of chronic diseases that the U.S. is leading the world in right now because we are not uh, fortified and our kids are not fortified. And, and he could have painted that and talked about the need to have a reset in America on getting to regenerative agriculture um, and, and getting to more sedan, you know, less sedentary environments. And that, and everyone said, I say that, and people say, well, that's a lot. We had an immediate need. We had a meet. 
You can change your metabolism. You look, you wear a CGM. You can change this in, as you said, weeks to months. Um, you can, you can improve this quickly. You can dramatically lower your risk factors very, very quickly. Um, and, uh, and I completely, uh, reject this idea that these are longer. If we had a national emergency on children's health, uh, said that it's BS that 80% of schools still have a soda machine with full fledged sugar drinks. Um, if we had a national reckoning, I mean, Michelle Obama caved to the food companies, quite frankly, but if we had the secretary of defense and the, the president, uh, say that we have to figure out, uh, how to feed kids better, um, food because it's a national security issue where 80% of 21 year olds uh, aren't physically fit enough to join the military. We actually have a crisis right now and are actually lowering standards for the military because so few um, young adults are even able and uh, to do a pull-up or uh, and are too uh, obese, uh, overweight, or metabolic and healthy to join the military. It's 80% of 21-year-olds. Um, we could have a reckoning very quickly. Um, we could tell the USDA to stop recommending sugar to two-year-olds, which they currently do. Uh, we could stop subsidizing uh, addictive sugary drinks for our you know, underprivileged populations with food stamps. Uh, right now, there's more federal ag- agriculture subsidies that go to tobacco than go to fruits and vegetables. Uh, we literally subsidize cigarettes more than fruits and vegetables with agriculture subsidies, and 90% of agriculture subsidies go to glyphosate-laden corn, wheat, and soy. So um, these things can happen quickly, and I, ju- I just think – if you are an alien coming down, looking at what's happening in America, where there's rampant diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, obesity, metabolic dysfunction, you wouldn't say, let's continue that happening. Let's continue to have everyone get sick and then create little pills to potentially manage those in different ways for the rest of their lives, even though life expectancy is declining and everyone's getting depressed. Uh, no, you'd say, like, let, let's, let's, let's figure out the root cause. Let's take the $4 trillion we're spending on healthcare and actually figure out how to incentivize people to be healthy, to be on this journey. You know, I don't think that's, people say that's maybe a nanny state thing. No, if we're going to spend $4 trillion on health, it's absolutely appropriate to ask how that keeps us healthy, how we can best use that money. Right now, it's just a complete uh, giveaway to industries that are direly, like like they will, they will have devastation if people get healthier. Um, you know, you even look at, uh, you even look at everyone excited about Ozempic. And you look at the investors that are investing in this new uh, miracle obesity drug, they're excited because they're projecting obesity to increase over the next 10 to 15 years. How is that possible if the drug's supposed to be treating obesity? And they're modeling obesity increasing. This is a game that we can change quickly, is what I would say. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> the model is there as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean um... – it's interesting because I think there is interesting for many reasons, but I think once, once people understand, you know, that it's like, there, there's certain shit like, uh, I don't know, there, there's things that get thrown out there like biohacker or, or life coach and shit like that. And then it's kind of like, eh, I don't really want to work with that. Or I don't really, yeah. you know, like it, it's, it's kind of gives you a weird feeling, but these principles are just the basics of common sense health. You know, like Paul check has the last four doctors you'll ever need. Dr. Quiet. What does your sleep and your meditation practice look like? Doctor movement, do how often are you moving? Are you sedentary? Are you walking enough? Do you do do you do some form of weightlifting, yoga, do just anything? You know what's your movement practice? 
uh, Dr. Diet, all the supplements, all the water. How, what is your water quality? What are the foods you put in your body? And Dr. Happiness, yeah. what makes you, what drives you? What wakes you up? What are you, what are you working towards in life? What does the big picture look like? And how do you achieve a little bit of that? Those things are so fucking overlooked and they're so basic, but at the same time, like basics win out on everything. And, and, it, and it, it's mind blowing to me that, you know, a doctor will say, you know, you hear it all the time. I have, I have uh, my father's side of the family. We were uh, medical doctors, family medicine. Uh, my cousin's an anesthesiologist, graduated from Stanford. And she's great. I mean, I haven't really yeah, taken yeah. a deep dive with her on this. So I don't want to shit on her, right. but uh, she's, she's great. Cousin Emily's amazing. Um, a lot of nurses in my family and a lot of people are sick. You know, like I, I found out through 23andMe and found my fitness. You know, Dr. Rhonda Patrick runs the, the stuff and I'll actually tell you what it means. And um, high, high likelihood for type 2 diabetes, high likelihood for obesity. Same with Aubrey Marcus, you're going to meet Saturday. Yeah. And, and same with my wife, right? And, and all three of us are very lean, right? Like there's no, there's no genetic determinism in that. Like I don't, this isn't my death sentence because I have this in my genes, right? And that's a big misnomer too. But one of the things that's hard is that the person you're talking to about health and wellness inherently doesn't understand for themselves those four doctors. They don't go to bed on time. They don't put the right food in their body. And you're asking a sick person how to get healthy. That's my, it's my you know, it's a, if it's a blunt point, I mean, I have yet, there's many people that I see in the health and wellness game where you're just like, really? You're the one that's informing us? Yeah. Even on the presidential level, you see whoever's the fucking, the health minister and you're like, really? That's our, that's our head of health? Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. I think it's fair. I mean, I think, you know, you have a doctor or a trainer or a health official, they should be healthy. And I think, you know, I, I, I think that's a fair expectation. Um, what you're, you bring up, you know, on this point about the, how simple it seems, and it's almost like uncomfortable. It doesn't seem legitimate how simple the answers seem. Uh, it brings back a story working for, um, the, the American beverage association for Coke. And, um, Sitting around the table, the goal is to make things complex from these companies. If you can make things complex, you have power. So one stat that I go to and what, what we helped do back when I was working for Coke is, as I said, we would carpet bomb research institutions for nutrition studies. And if you go to PubMed, you know, which is, which is the peer-reviewed uh, database, there's been 50,000 nutrition studies in the past two years, okay, 50,000. And I can tell you the strategy, so sometimes it's very quid pro quo, it's, you know, there's been hundreds of studies that um, that, uh, that that say sugar may, might not cause obesity, you know, the aspartames come up, this highly toxic, very processed ingredient that's obviously probably not good for us, that we have very low research on. 92% uh, of the studies, are, sorry, I think it's 100% of the studies funded by um, institutions, by industry, say it's it's fine, and then ninety two percent of independent studies say that it's, it's very problematic. So 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 so, but there's that. But also, when we were funding this research, we didn't care what the research said. We literally just wanted more and more studies because you see on the news, right? It's like seed oils are good, seed oils are bad. You know, gas stoves are the problem. Um, you know, uh, fats the problem. So the fact that there's always this like confusion is the point and it's a very coordinated effort i think to gaslight us to just realize if we literally and paul uh, dr paul might not like this but i actually think dr paul is 90 percent connected to maybe somebody saying to eat um 
you know, a little less meat and plants, a good influencer on that side. Like, like Paul, if you listen to 90% of what he says, it's really just about getting back to basics. It's about a search for truth on basics. It's about eating things that were biologically made to eat. You know, this should not be controversial. And it truly is the answer. Like, like, like anyone, right? It, it, it's even, you know, it's not to judge anyone and people need to go on their same journey. But, you know, somebody that actually fixes their diet and, and exercises 150 minutes a week um, is massively, that's a massively more uh, efficacious reduction of depression than taking SSRIs and seeing a psychiatrist, or seeing, a, seeing a therapist regularly, literally not even seeing a therapist, just eating better and running. So, so there's, there's, there are these answers. And, and, you know, I think a lot of your folks are evangelical about this personal empowerment. And, you know, I've had a personal journey, you know, with my sister and, and, um, you know, after, you know, watching what happened to my mom, um, you know, some, some, some experiences with that very, I would say transcendent experiences, just being on a path of, 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 of thinking more deeply about what I'm eating, what my son's eating, you know, movement, sunlight, sleep, these habits, you know, it's why I started coming to space. I'm writing a book with my sister. It's been changed my life. And I'm, I'm, you know, certainly not perfect and, and, and on a journey, but I, I think as a societal objective, everyone should be more in touch with the basics. Um, I think we're spiritually missing something right, right now where we're just totally out of touch with our bodies, right? Where, where you just look at the sickness and look at the disattachment, disaggregation from our bodies. I think it's like 70% of Americans like don't work out at all in a month. You know, it's just like we're, we're funneling processed shit into our bodies. I don't think people want to do that. I don't think we've become systematically lazier in the past generation. I don't think we've become, um, you know, have more of a death wish. I think my mom wanted to, you know, meet her grandchild, which she wasn't able to do. I think you know, um, men who are dying much earlier now, life expectancy going down, want to walk their daughters down the aisle. I, I actually don't think people are like massively suicidal right now, which is essentially what's happening. I think we really do, you know, need a bottoms up revolution, but have this like, I, I think it's an addiction crisis at the end of the day, actually. Um, you know, when you really go through the psychology, why are all these people like essentially like trying to kill themselves? It's like, I, I think it's similar to opioids. Um, it's similar to the opioid crisis. It's like, you, you sit in an airport and I've been this way too, you know, just fiending for sugar. It's like, why are all these people just funneling absolute toxic garbage? It, I think it's because the food is truly, if you do a brain scan on folks eating these ingredients, it's the same areas light up as any other drug. Um, and we need to have a, we need to have a reckoning with that. Yeah, it's a big, and I think there's, there's a benefit even for somebody who's, you know, more of an equatorial type or somebody that does, because there are plenty of people in the population, I'd argue that there's less in America, but there are plenty of people internationally that do better, like Okinawans, you know, they're a part of the blue zone. They're eating, you know, they have white rice as their primary macronutrient, but still they're filling that in with oysters and shellfish that have some of the highest levels of right. micronutrients, like even more than beef liverwurst, right? Just fucking loaded. Uh, shellfish are loaded with good stuff. So so they're, they're getting a well-rounded diet there, but they're geared to eat that. And- I, I still believe that we periodically went without, you know, so even if it is mm -hmm. intermittent fasting, and I yeah. don't mean, you know, doing 16, eight for six months straight, but keeping it intermittent. So it's every once in a while, you do go without for a little bit just to retune that, especially if you're not lifting weights or running or 100%. doing something else that's going to help with that. Um, I think in those periods where we go without, I mean, I remember the first time I did a ketogenic diet was in 2014, right when I retired from the UFC. 
Mm. That was the first time where I felt coming back to food that mm. I didn't, I wasn't a slave to eating where I was just like, oh, I'm cool if I do, I'm cool if I don't. Like, I wasn't like, I have to eat right now. Even on the day I broke my fast, I was like, oh, I guess I get to have dinner tonight. That's cool. You know, it was a very weird it thing. Is weird, I don't, I don't yeah. believe, you know, like I was 30, 32 at that point. And for, that means for 32 years, I had never missed a meal. Mm. You know, for 32 years and, and, and also for 32 years, every meal had carbohydrates in it. Every meal had something likely processed in it for 32 fucking years, right? Three squares a day plus snacks, right? So to actually get that break, that, that really allows for a selectivity. But when you talk about the addiction portion of this, and it's hundred percent true, right? Um, some of the highest paid people in the food industry are the food scientists that create right. our food. Rob Wolf dives right into this and in wired to eat, uh-huh. um, you know, he, he uses the things that it's not your fault. You know, he's thinking of the, the Goodwill hunting scene. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Well, Robin Williams just keeps repeating that. Yeah. But it's a break. It's a break that allows us to actually step one layer back. And then we truly have some free will over what we want to put in our bodies. But up until that point, we're largely driven by not so good bacteria and, and fungus, candida, you name it, right? That's all a part of the game too. And this highly engineered highly processed thing that's designed to light up every fucking chemical spot in our brain with more, 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 this is good. A couple, couple crucial points there. So one is, I think you, you make a great point, right? It's like Okinawa, they have a different diet than here. I, I personally am on the low carb. I, I think, I think grains and um, especially highly processed grains and, and sugar is, 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 is bad. But like, again, I think, as I said, there's, there's room. I think if you listen to the carnivores like Paul Saladino or even people on different sides, it's like the good people are, are essentially saying hunt for the nutrients. It, it's kind of this battle over actually disaggregating food into what our body actually needs. And one, one concept I think about is that we have a, just a really bad cognitive bias of splitting food into what the actual components of it are. Um, so if you had a glass of water and then, and then right next to it, a glass of water with like arsenic in it, You'd be able to like disaggregate that that one thing has poison. You shouldn't eat that. But we, as a society, and I think this is very intentional. And I think again, it's reinforced by food companies paying TikTok influencers to say you shouldn't be stigmatizing food and nutrition research, which says processed food, you know, is potentially as good as l- literally the NIH right now says that Cheerios are better than quinoa as a grain. I mean, that, that, that the Food Compass survey says that literally the NIH, which is also funded. That study is funded by food companies too. So. I think my lesson from a lot of these folks talking about this is not necessarily, you know, to subscribe to a certain rigid dietary philosophy, but to, to, to see what's in the food. If your beef, if your cow um, ate, uh, you know, crappy GMO grains, which they're not biologically made to eat, they have a completely reverse uh, ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. The omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. The omega-6s are inflammatory versus a cow that ate grass. It's literally the reverse. So uh, uh, because of what that cow ate, you're literally putting more, much more inflammatory items into your body, which, which makes sense, quite frankly, right? You know, thinking about the grains you're eating, how those grains were made, whether they were sprayed with a neurotoxin that's being banned in Europe, uh, glyphosate, like, like, like really researching. So it's, so it's, so it's, I think, you know, the blue zone things, which, you know, some people have quibbles with, but I think there are some lessons to learn there. It's not necessarily a rigid dietary philosophy. It's just hunting for the micronutrients and frankly, not eating poison. Um, You know, these places are, um, you know, they're not poison food. They have a high standard 
um, of food. So that, that's, that's a journey I'm on. It's really understanding what's in your food. Um, and then the other thing you said is, um, you know, the fasting. And this, this is what my sister and I are writing the book about. And again, I think what our, what our main mission is, is that it's not that complicated to just tie and really understand what our bodies are biologically made to do. Um, and going to the history of like kind of how our evolution, um, we are made to go periods without food. The, the, the three meals a day thing is complete marketing. The breakfast, the most important meal of the day is total bullshit. Um, we're actually made and designed with two ways to burn energy, right? We can burn energy, obviously, from the glucose, um, you know, from the carbs and the, and the food reading. And then we have fat storage. The purpose, the evolutionary purpose of fat is because for almost all of human history, there was feast and famine cycles. And, you know, if you saw a bunch of fruit, you were well advised to eat as much of that as possible and actually put on some fat that can be burned from energy later. You know, somebody that was morbidly obese um, a couple decades ago actually did not eat one morsel of food for over 300 days and was perfectly healthy, actually dramatically more healthy afterwards. Most humans can actually very healthily go weeks without eating because you, you have fat storage to burn off. That's the evolutionary purpose. And, and having that metabolic flexibility, shifting, you know, into that uh, burning um, ketones instead of glucose, that, the, the fact that we're not doing that, the fact that you said that until you were 32, most Americans go their entire lives without going into burning ketones, and which is why they're storing excess fat. I don't think most doctors understand that. <laughs> I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's the bros on the podcast talking about this that are delegitimized, but these are very important concepts. And it's actually not that hard, right, for medical leaders to talk about this, right? To talk about the basics, to incentivize the basics, to have somebody that's on Medicaid, you know, lower income. Um, we're spending more on uh, diabetes treatment, treatment on Medicaid than the defense budget. Um, we're bankrupt in the country because somebody that's uh, young, uh, lower income, and sick, we're going we're gonna to be paying for them for the rest of their lives. What if we taught them about these issues? What if we incentivized exercise for them? What if we actually gave them a card that they could buy uh, good food on? That would change their life and save a lot of money, and um, we could do that. Um, we could follow the science <laughs> um, uh, on these things and really try to return and have public policy that returns us to what we're biologically made to, to do, which is sleep, which is eat healthy, which is to fast, which is to have chronic stress management. For some reason, you'll have to explain to me. Um, we basically uh, put kids into a total buzz song, chronic stress, you know, have just the schools, have them sit at the desk, have them listen to a teacher instead of collaborate, have their phones in their pocket, their chronic stress machines. You know, it's, it's a disaster. We're not teaching them meditation. We're not teaching them how to regulate their emotion. We're not having them move often. We're sitting them inside, you know, to regulate their emotions. Uh, we're almost like designing society to ignore our biological needs instead of instead of cater to them. Um, and until we realize that from a public policy perspective, and frankly, until we realize that there are interests at play on the food and pharma, again, food that's making us sick and pharma, which is profiting from people being sick, um, that's a problem. Hundred yeah. percent. Well, we're we're getting we're getting close to the end here. I yeah. want to talk a little bit about Please. you. Obviously, you have your book coming out. I uh, I'd love for you to talk about that. I'd love for you also to talk about some of the different companies that you support. I noticed a couple yeah. of them are psychedelics based. I got my psilocybin shirt on here. Good. So I'm wondering what your, what your experience is with that. We talked about, you know, spirituality and transcendence, you know, and obviously that can just be the case from losing a loved one. Yeah. Um, but, but also these other, these other tools can be that as well for, for waking us up and allowing, I mean, it is certainly 
in my, in my case, and I always was an athlete, but what, what my initial ceremonies did for me with plant medicine, specifically ayahuasca and psilocybin is they, they showed me where I was fucking up in my life and just very curtly and very to the point gave me then the choice. Do I want to continue yeah. in this way, hurting myself, or do I actually want to love myself? And that, and that you know, it can sound airy fairy. Like, how do you love yourself? Well, I love myself by making good decisions for my body. Mm-hmm. I love myself by making the right decision, by having discipline around what I put into my body and when I go to bed. That's one of the ways that I love myself. Very practical. Yeah. I mean, my story on that and just, you know, tying to mental health, which I think is a phrase, I think the psych, you know, the, the psychiatry profession is a scandal in this country. I think everyone deals with meaning and quote unquote mental health and is searching for meaning in their lives. I was a, you know, a conservative, very, uh, very straight-laced uh, family guy growing up. I never would be expected to uh, t- talk about psychedelics or be an evangelist for psychedelics. Um, it was very surprising. After my mom died, my my previous company was struggling a bit during COVID. Which actually, I was started with my wife, so there was a lot of dynamics there, which were hard. Um, you know, uh, my wife just had a miscarriage. There was a lot, a lot of life events. Um, and somebody, a scientist, actually recommended. Um, you know, do the Johns Hopkins protocol, basically uh, high dose and introspective. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? That's for hippies. Um, yeah, the, the psychedelic experience was the most impactful moment of my life, I would say, um, because it brought together um, my meaning, um, uh, kind of showed the truth, um, you know, kind of tied together uh, my mom's death, what I'm doing with my life, my marriage, um, my relationship with my sister, um, as you said, that's exactly what, what it was for me. It, 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 I think it does. And this is, there's a lot of science on this. You have these, these wedges in your brain, these patterns, and it does, it removes you a little bit higher level. And you do see, I think pretty much the truth. Now that in and of itself isn't a panacea, but it does show you, I think what you need to do and the habits you need to have every day. If you want to be the person you want to be and have a good impact on the life. Um, and you know, there's a lot of science on this, Johns Hopkins. It's it's probably the best science and neuro you know, neuroscience uh, results ever. Um, it's it's showing consistently to be one of the the best um, uh, intervention for depression ever studied. Um, you know, I really hope it's legal. M- my hope societally, um, and tying to the other things we've talked about, is like it's not forcing anyone to do this, but it's I think the fact that these um, these tools have been stigmatized is absolutely. You know, it actually it actually traces um, to the war on drugs, to where the the folks that wrote the war on drugs were actually lobbyists and lawyers for pharmaceutical companies um, who made SSRIs, Valium, and Benzos and things like that, and actually purposely wanted to stigmatize um, psychedelics, which get to root cause. Where Nixon was actually saying, "We need to we need to ban these things because the the hippies are are thinking for themselves too much and questioning the Vietnam War." They were actually right, <laughs> so. So, so there was a big effort to really stigmatize these drugs and, you know, for anyone that's taken them, right. It's like, this, this is a root cause. It's like, to me, it's like food. It's a root cause thing that helps you really understand, not just paper over or numb your trauma, but actually understand and reframe. Um, it's one tool, but it's, I think it's a very important tool and had a big, so yeah, I, I, I've been talking about that, investing in, in companies on that front, um, really do think it's part of this root cause. But through that journey, through selling um, my, my, my previous company, being inspired by my sister, by my mom, I really asked, how do we really push this forward? How do we stop complaining about the fact that, you know, what we talked about today, which I think is a very important for people to understand how, how the system is rigged. How do we actually start changing it? And I think 
Kyle, I think where the where the rubber hits the road, we've got to communicate it on podcasts. We've got to wake people up. People are buying books. People are listening to you, listening to Joe Rogan, listening. Everyone's talking about this. And then we need to slant that uh, into incentives. Um, we need to actually slant healthcare dollars to starting to pay instead of for SSRIs for psychedelics, instead of for stands and metformin for food and exercise. And there's actually a way to do that. So my main thrust right now is called TrueMed, uh, our company. Um, and um, we actually write prescriptions for food, for exercise, for supplements. Um, I think we're I think we're working already with the number of companies you know you're, you're close with. Um, you know, a, a lot of leading leading folks got investors from like Thrive Market, Eight Sleep, um, on down. A um, uh, number of leading supplement companies working with us, investing in us, and um, we write doctor's notes for those products. And if a doctor recommends better sleep, uh, better you know supplement su- supplementation, food, exercise, um, we just launched a national uh, uh, program with CrossFit. So every person at every CrossFit America can actually get a doctor's note if appropriate and expense their their gym membership with HSA FSA dollars, which are tax free medical dollars that usually go to pharma. If you have a doctor's note, it unlocks that HSA FSA. Spending. Um, so that's 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 what our company is doing. Um, you know, we're one we're one person in the fight. Um, you know, to try to enable all these great supplement brands and all these great exercise companies and all these great people trying to do the right thing. But it's hard to do. I mean, I know probably in your experience, right? It's hard to do the right ingredients and uh, put the right ingredient and do and do the healthy because the crappy stuff is subsidized. The crappy stuff is addictive. Um, so, so if we can bend the cost curve, if we can shift medical dollars, write doctor's notes and actually save people 30, 40% tax free spending on these items, that's just one example. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road. And, and I'm also been fortunate to be engaging, a, a, you know, with a number of uh, politicians and trying to educate them, right? The way to change society, I do believe in the American people. I don't think we're all trying to kill ourselves. I, I think it's just like, we all talk about it, right? A Coke is less expensive than water because it's so subsidized. You know, you go buy some crap at, at McDonald's, but buying, you know, some vegetables is really, you know, or pasture raised meat is very expensive. We just need to change the cost of those things. I don't want to ban anything. I just, we just need to change and, and, and actually rectify the incentives. And the, I think we'll start making the right decisions. Um, so that, that's what I'm doing. Do True med to try to change the incentives more from the top down of the incentives. And then I just, whatever I can do with my sister and I writing this book and just um, just amazing to connect with people like you, uh, Kyle, on the front lines. I, I think communication is vital. I, I think there is this battle against independent media right now. I, you know, it's kind of trivialized as well by the media, this kind of complaints about cancel culture. I, the greatest innovation in the U.S., you know, the, 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 the world was at war at all times until we figured out how to talk, <laughs> And I think talking about these big things and the fact that there's such policing of what we can talk about, that we can't ask a question, that a parent is an anti-science putting their child at risk for asking why the mandatory shots for their child has gone from 20 to 70 in 20 years um, by companies. Sorry, I'm not trying to get you banned from YouTube here. But, um, no, that's all good. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, but but, but, but yeah. it's like, but it's like, maybe those are good. And, and you know, I, I don't think vaccines have been bad, but it's, I, I do think it's something that, you know, why is there policing of that question? Why is there policing when the companies that make vaccines, Merck's and GlaxoSmithKline, are criminal entities that have paid billions of dollars in criminal fines for bribing doctors and falsifying data? Why do they get a complete and utter blank check 
and air cover from tech companies, the media, and the government for even asking a question. And a parent is literally kicked out of a pediatrician's office for asking a question about what they're injecting in their kid's body when the medication itself is marketed as something that changes that child's immune system for their entire lives. We should ask questions. We are being treated like children by the media and the government and tech companies. And this independent media wave and communication, what you're, do- what you're doing and what so many soldiers in this fight are doing, I think is vital because I think a lot of minds are changing. So we've got to do that. You know, your audience and I'm on this journey, keep reading the books, getting the bio wearables, taking the supplements, being on this journey, you know, figuring out whether you agree with Dr. Paul or, you know, eating more vegetables. It's, it's a beautiful journey. We should all be encouraging that. But from the top down, we've got to change incentives. So that's what we're doing at TrueMed. And uh, yeah, TrueMed.com. Um, ranting about this a lot at my Twitter, Callie Means. But uh, but uh, trying to do whatever I can to just be a soldier in this fight. Well, you're, you're an excellent soldier and I'm, and I'm blessed to have, have you on. I'm super excited to meet you tomorrow night. I'm pumped, man. At the Bobby Kennedy event. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the future here. When, are your, when does your book come out? Yeah, it's coming out. Uh, t- coming out next year, uh, uh, April timeline. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a yeah. In my sister's voice, Dr. Casey Means, we're the co-authors, and would love to talk about it. Then we're really excited about it. I, w- I will happily have you both back on <laughs> Great, when man. you guys are getting ready to. We'd launch. love to do it. Thank you so much. <laughs>